Um, the scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 24. Luke chapter 1, 5 through 24. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the vision of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of the house of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, The Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. This morning I want to paint for you a little bit of a picture of this story, this first part of Luke, what happens even even before the birth of Christ is announced. I want to paint for you a picture of what happened in the temple on that day. Zechariah, we're told at the beginning of the story, is a priest in the division of Abijah. He's married to Elizabeth, who also comes from the priestly line, from the Levite line. She also comes from that line, which in those days would have been fairly significant for both the husband and the wife to come from the priestly line. They lived in the hill country in Judea, probably a small country town where they spent most of their time. The Bible tells us that they were both righteous followers of God. They were blameless, in fact, 
Luke writes in his book as he writes this story to Theophilus. Zechariah and Elizabeth were good, God-fearing, God-loving people. They had a great life, except, the Bible tells us, that Elizabeth was barren. She had no child. And in fact, not only was she barren and had no children, but, but she was well advanced in years and had resigned herself to the fact that she would not have children. You can imagine, they're, they're priests. They know the law well. Zechariah knows the law well. Elizabeth comes from the priestly line as well. She knows the law. She knows the stories of the Old Testament. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, I'm sure, sat around as they would pray for a child. And they would say to one another, Remember, Sarah, she was aged and God promised to her a son. Remember, Rachel. Remember, Rebecca. Remember, Hannah. And they would go through the list of women throughout the Old Testament Scriptures that waited and waited and waited for a child. And then God provided one to them. They would celebrate that. They would pray and say, we remember the promise that you held true to Sarah. We pray, God, that you will make that true to us as well. And then there were probably days as they prayed those prayers where they began to be discouraged. They had to be discouraged. In fact, I would guess that when they prayed those prayers, they probably thought these things. Yes, God brought a child to Sarah, Isaac. God brought a child to Rachel. God brought a child to Rebecca. God brought a child to Hannah. But Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Samuel, they are important foundational parts of our faith. Of course God would bring them to those mothers. We are just small country priests in the hill country of Judea There's no promise like that for us. I would guess that's probably the conversations that they had in their home. There's 24 divisions of priests during this time. Each division has about a thousand people, not quite a thousand people in each division. There were a thousand priests in each division. So there are 20,000 or so priests in Israel at this time. And twice a year, all of the priests in all of the country would be called to Jerusalem. There was kind of an all-play event where everyone comes and everyone has to help out with with two different feasts that would happen in Jerusalem. And so Zechariah, as part of the division of Abijah, would be sent to Jerusalem and he would be there. And, And it happened that this was the week that his division would be in charge of one part of the ceremony that would happen in the tabernacle. And Zechariah, we're told in Luke chapter 1, was chosen by lot, by God, through chance, that Zechariah was chosen by lot to light the incense in the tabernacle. That was his job. 
Now, it's not found in Old Testament law, but many Jewish historians from that time would, had a saying that there was one time and one chance for a priest to light incense. He would do it one day out of all of his days if he had that one day. And so when Zechariah saw that he was chosen by Lot to burn the incense on that day, he knew there's 20,000 priests and there's a strong chance that I would never be picked and yet I was picked today by Lot to burn incense in the temple. In the temple there's a picture that will be on the screen here. You can kind of get a picture of what it looked like inside the temple. There's three things in the holy place. That would be the big room just inside the doors. There's three things. There's the lampstand. You'll see that as you would walk through the door. It was on your left. On the right was the table of, of bread. Of the bread of promise would have been on the right. And then in the center of the room, right in front of the large curtain, would have been the altar of incense. Just beyond that curtain you know, is the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant would have been held inside that inside that curtain where that curtain is. Inside the Holy of Holies would have been a place where the Jewish people at that time truly believed that God was there. That His presence lived inside the Holy of Holies. And so, on that day, Zechariah knew that he would be going into the, to the holy place, right to the altar of incense, and he would be lighting the incense at the very place, the most closest place that you could be without going inside the Holy of Holies. The closest place to the presence of God. As Zechariah thought about it and prepared, I'm sure he began thinking, this is my one chance, my one and only opportunity, the only time I'll have in all of my life. I'm, I'm fortunate to even have this chance. This is the one chance that I will have to come inside the holy place to offer incense right before the Holy of Holies, to God. Incense was offered twice a day. In the morning it was offered, it was the very first thing that would happen at the temple. Before the sacrifices would be made, the incense would be offered for a couple of different reasons. One is that that the offering of sacrifices and the practice of offering sacrifices is not a clean, it's not a clean thing at all. It would have been very messy. It would have been very stinky. It would have been, it would have been gross. And so the practice was to light incense before the sacrifices started and again at the end of the sacrifices, at the end of the day. Zechariah probably is offering his incense, burning his incense at the end of the day when there's a large crowd of people that's gathered outside the temple that day. They offer it twice a day, before and after the sacrifice, so that the sacrifice would be surrounded 
by a sweet smell and make it more appealing and more attractive to God. The second reason that they burn incense, and this is, I'm sure, what would be on Zechariah's heart and mind as he comes in to burn incense that day in the temple, is that the smoke that comes from the incense that floats heavenward was said to represent the prayers of the people. They were outside the temple. They were gathered together praying, and this is the representative, the representation, I should say, of their prayers floating towards heaven. Zechariah, this is his one and only chance ever to come. He's just a few feet, you can see in the picture, he's just a few feet from where God resides, according to the Jewish beliefs and traditions, to God's home. He's just a few feet away. And he comes to that place and he sees the smoke being lifted to heaven knowing that these are the prayers that are going directly to God who's just on the other side of the curtain. And I would guess, I can only imagine that Zechariah began to pray. And he probably began to pray his very most heartfelt prayer that he has longed for and prayed for for so many days and years and waited for. And I can only imagine, I have no idea, we don't have any idea what happened that day at this moment, but I can only imagine that Zachariah stood before the incense, saw the smoke, and began to pray. God, you know You know that I want a son. You know, God, that Elizabeth, my wife, wants a son. You know the disgrace we feel, especially Elizabeth. You know the disgrace that she feels because we have not had a son. God, you know that we want a son. We want a child. And I can only imagine that as Zechariah prayed that, he began to think. He began to think. We have prayed for this for so long, God. And now I'm at this opportunity. I have this chance to burn this incense. I have this chance to be just feet away from the Holy of Holies. But it's too late. We're too old. Here's my chance to bring this prayer right to you. And and it's too late. I'm too old. You've heard our prayer, God. You have not answered it. I would be better off spending my time, my one and only chance to pray here at the altar of incense, I would be better off to spend my time praying for the Savior of the world, for the Messiah. That's the prayer of our nation. That is what I should pray for. But God, we haven't even heard about that for 400 years, I'm sure he would have thought. There has been 400 years since you had even had a prophet come and speak to us to tell us about the promise of the Savior. God, we're tired of waiting. We're tired of sending these prayers your way and never having an answer. 
I can only imagine that Zechariah would stand there that day and think those prayers and see the smoke. And he may have even thought, God, are you even in there? Are you even behind that curtain? Are you even there? And then, at the right hand of the altar of incense, Gabriel appears. And he says, Do not be afraid to Zechariah. Can you imagine? Of course, Zechariah would be afraid. In fact, every place through Scripture, when people come to see an angel of the Lord, they're afraid. And if Zechariah stood there that day, wondering, do the prayers even come true? He would have been afraid. Gabriel says to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah. And then he says this, your prayers have been answered. The word that, that's used there in the original language, your prayers have been answered, the word there is, is a present tense. Like the, the prayer that you are praying right now, Zechariah, the one that's coming out of your lips right now, that prayer is answered. Now, as I said, we don't have any idea for sure what the prayer was that Zechariah prayed. But we know the answer to the prayer, so we can only imagine what the prayer was. Gabriel says to Zechariah, the answer to your prayer, the one you're praying right now, has come to be true. Then he says, Elizabeth is going to have a son. You will have a son. He's going to be a delight. He's going to be a delight to you. He's going to be a delight to those around you. He's going to be special. He's going to be empowered. There are certain things that you need to do as you raise your son He has an important job, Gabriel says to Zechariah that day. Your prayers have been answered. And Zechariah, as he stands there, as he prayed that prayer, as he sees Gabriel standing right beside the altar, he says the prayer that you just had on your lips, that prayer is answered. Gabriel says, how, or Zachariah says to Gabriel, how shall I know this? How shall I know this? How shall I know this? The prayer was prayed. The answer came. The promise, the promise was declared to Zachariah. And he wavered. He wavered. Zechariah knew. Zechariah knew the Old Testament. He knew the stories of Sarah and Rachel and Rebecca and Hannah. He knew the stories of those. He knew the story of Abraham, who had a visitor from God that came to him and said, Your wife is going to have a son. And Abraham said, How can that be? My wife is too old. Zechariah knew that story. Zechariah would have known that story well. And when he comes to this moment and Gabriel says to him, 
Your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a son. Zechariah's response is, how shall I know this? Zechariah wavered. In Romans chapter 4, Paul tells us about Abraham's experience with the messenger from God. And he says, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Zechariah knew that story. And yet in that exact moment when that happened and Gabriel says your prayers are answered, Zechariah's faith wavered. His response to Gabriel? Give me more evidence. Gabriel gives the promise. Gabriel says your prayers are answered and Zechariah's response to Gabriel is give me more proof. Give me more evidence. Now, I'm here today to tell you, I don't think it's wrong to ask for evidence. I don't think that our belief in this faith has to be groundless. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches us. Zachariah's problem, I think, that day was not his request, but it was his heart. It was his heart. It was where he trusted and where he rested. He needed another sign. Later on in Luke, Jesus is telling the story in, in chapter 11, I believe. He says, he says that this is an evil generation that always asks for another sign. And he says, I've given them the sign. We've given them the sign of Jonah, he says in Luke chapter 11. But there's an evil generation that asks for another sign and another sign and another sign. That that was Zechariah. I've heard the promise. I've seen the angel. But what else do you have for me? What other evidence, what other proof do you have? His heart was asking for evidence. Our heart asks for evidence from God. Not out of humility, but out of pride. I think one of the things that Luke does in the telling of this story in chapter 1 is that he contrasts Zechariah's response immediately with Mary's response. If you continue to read through there, we're not going to do that, but if you continue to read through Luke chapter 1, you'll see that Gabriel, the same angel that came to Zechariah here at the altar of incense, comes to Mary six months later. And he says to Mary, you're going to have a son. And her response, her response, you can read it, In Luke chapter 1, verse 34, her response to the angel is, How will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be since I am a virgin? She says to the angel, I can't understand this. Zechariah said, I need more proof. Mary says, explain it to me. And Zechariah says, prove it to me. It's not that you can't ask questions. 
It's not that you can't seek answers. It's the heart that comes with it. Zachariah's heart was prideful and he says, there's no way. I'm old. She's barren. Prove it to me. How can that be true? Show me how it can be true. Mary said, I don't understand. I'm a virgin. How can this happen? Help me to understand it. I believe if you tell it's true, if you tell it to me, I believe it's true. Tell me how it's going to happen. We don't always understand. We don't always understand. In fact, the Bible tells us that we see through a glass dimly. And one day, we'll see through it clearly. We'll see face to face. We won't always understand. And so it's okay to ask those questions. Too often, though, we waver on the promises of God. They come, we hear them, and we waver. My question this morning for you is, what promises are you wavering on? What promises have you read in the Word that you waver on? Philippians chapter 1, it says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Do you waver on that promise? Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it's written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord, do you waver on that promise that nothing separates us from God, not even death? If you were here last week, Don Frisco shared in our Thanksgiving service that exact verse. Do you waver in that promise? Do you waver in the promise that comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 28? We know... That for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Do you waver on that promise that all things work together for good? Zechariah right there at the altar prayed the prayer. The angel showed and said, your prayers have been answered. You will have a son and he wavered. Zechariah wavered. Gabriel's response to Zechariah was that Zechariah says, how shall I know this? My wife is old and barren. How shall I know? And Gabriel says, first he says, I am Gabriel. I come from the Lord. I come from the one on the other side of this curtain. I come with a word and a promise to you. I can just hear him. I can hear him saying that and being emphatic about it and making it so aware to Zechariah. 
Gabriel says, you want a sign? Here's your sign. You will be silent. You will be silent. The silence he's talking about here is not just you will not be able to talk anymore. The word that's used here for this silence is that not only will you be quiet, but you will not hear. You will not be able to speak and you will not be able to hear. You will be deaf and mute. You will be silent and everything around you will be silent. You want proof? You want another sign? You want evidence? Zachariah, here it is. Here's your sign. You're silent. From now until all of this has been completed. Zechariah comes and he says, how can I know this? Give me more proof. Give me more evidence with his prideful heart. And God in his grace responds through Gabriel to Zechariah and says, you asked for more proof. Here's more proof. It's a rebuke. It's a punishment. But it's the answer to his question. How can I know this? Here's how you'll know. You're going to be silent until all of this comes true. Zechariah goes home when his time of service is done. In fact, he goes out, he puts out the incense, he goes out to the people, and they know right away he can't talk. They can tell he's had a vision. They're trying to make signs to him. He's trying to make signs to explain what's happened, but I'm sure there was no way for them to actually understand what had happened. So he travels back home to Elizabeth, and he has to tell her. He has to tell her what has happened, what was promised at the altar of incense, what, what the angel of the Lord came and told him, and yet he cannot speak and he cannot hear. There wouldn't have been Sharpie markers and notepads lying around for him to explain it. There may have been some wax-covered tablets that he could have written a little bit on. Can you imagine? Zechariah comes home to say, the prayer that we have prayed all of our married life together, the prayer that we have longed for, the stories that we have told each other about Sarah and Hannah, those stories, you're one of those women. And yet he couldn't say anything. Think about the punishment that Zechariah had from his lack of faith. Somehow he got the idea across to Sarah. Somehow she understood through the signs that they were able to make up. But he missed a lot during those nine months. Mary comes. The one who actually is going to give birth to the promised Savior. She comes to his home. She tells the story about the same angel that stood beside that stood beside Zechariah and fulfilled the promise to him, she tells a story about him coming to her and he doesn't hear it. She sings a song, the Magnificat. It's in in Luke chapter 1. She praises God and he doesn't hear it. They're preparing for their one and only child that they have waited for for years and years and years and he can't even talk about it. 
Zachariah's proof that he needed was a punishment. But Zachariah's proof that he got was more than just a punishment. The rebuke that he got from Gabriel, I'm sure, I'm sure as he left that day, I'm sure as he traveled back to Elizabeth, I can only imagine as I'm thinking through this, he's, he's giddy. We're going to have a son. I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to try to figure out how to tell this to Elizabeth. We're going to have a baby. All of our prayers have come true. And then I'm sure he turns and thinks, why was I so prideful? Why couldn't I just believe? Why didn't I, why did I question whether or not this could really be true? And I'm sure he kicked himself. Probably for weeks, probably for months, maybe the whole time. Why would I question? Gabriel about the promise that God had made for me. Why would I do that? And yet I believe I believe that this time for Zechariah while it probably was tough at the beginning I believe that God in his infinite wisdom knew that Zechariah for his change of heart needed this time, this period of silence. This nine months of total communion with God, where he could not speak and he could not hear. Here's, here's the key that I think that we want to see in this. Before Zechariah goes to offer incense at the altar that day, the word's pretty clear that Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous followers of God, blameless, it says, in fact. They are believers. And after. The incense, when we come to Zechariah in just a second, when Zechariah gets his voice back, Zechariah is a believer. Zechariah is a believer through this whole process, and yet there's this one moment in time that's written down for all of us to, to hear and to see and to, and to figure out that Zechariah has this doubt. Zechariah has this wavering that happens in his life. He was a believer before it happened. He was a believer after it happened. And we can only have to assume and know and believe to be true that he was a believer when it happened. He was a believer. And yet he had doubts. I think a lot of times that we come to this and we start to have doubts and we, and we think, God, I need more proof. And then all of a sudden we say, oh, if I'm demanding proof from God, I, I must not be a believer at all. If I have these kind of doubts, if I have these kinds of questions about, about my faith and about what God says and about the, the Word and His promises, I must not be a believer at all. The truth is, we see it in Zechariah's life, there are times as believers we have doubts. There are times that we have questions. There are times when we ask for proof out of prideful hearts. And yet, through that whole process, through that whole time, we're still a child of the King. We're still believers. Zechariah was... I believe we are. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts once in a while. It's where do we go when we have those doubts? God's promise is that for believers, He turns rebukes into rewards. 
I can only imagine that's what happened with Zechariah. His rebuke from Gabriel became ultimately a sweet communion with God and a reward for him. For his heart was tuned back to God. Where he was able to see the one who backed the promise. And he could rest there without a doubt, without a wavering. If you go on in Luke chapter 1, Mary comes to visit, and all of a sudden you come to verse 57, and we see the culmination of this promise that Gabriel has made to Zechariah. Elizabeth has a son, and everyone that comes, they celebrate with him, with her, that she has a son. And it comes time to name the son, and Elizabeth says to the ones that have gathered there, his name is John. And they gather around and they say, they can't be John. There's no one in your family named John. His name has to be Zechariah. He must be named after his father. You've waited so long for this. Let's name him after his father. That's what our tradition says we should do. And she says, no, his name will be John. So they go to Zechariah. And somehow they make signs to him so that he can figure out what they're asking. And they say, what? What, she wants to name him John. What do you want to do? You're, you're the ultimate authority. Let's, let's hear from you. What is his name? And Zechariah takes a tablet and writes out his name is John. At that moment, at that moment, from this moment where he doubted and was silent to that moment where he writes on the tablet, his name is John that nine months or so of silence ends. Comes complete. It's over. And Zechariah's mouth is opened, his tongue is loosened, his ears become clear, and he gets his voice back. He gets his voice back. And here, here, is what Zechariah says. His first words. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The name John means God is gracious. That's the name. That's the name that Zechariah writes on the tablet. His name is John. God is gracious. At that moment, Zechariah's mouth is opened. And the very first thing he says, he doesn't try to explain why it's John. He doesn't try to tell all the stories that he saved up for nine months. He doesn't even try to tell the story of what happened right here at the altar of incense when the Gabriel was there. He doesn't do any of that. His first words are this, God is to be praised because, read this, because he has visited and he has redeemed his people. Redeemed his people. That's a past tense word. Zechariah is saying that God has come and redeemed his people before Jesus has even been born. The Savior hasn't even come yet. Jesus isn't even a little baby in a manger yet. And Zechariah says, this is how sure I am of God and his promises to us. They have not happened yet, and yet they have happened. God is true. His promise is secure. I rest in him. God has redeemed 
His people. Even though we don't know how it's going to be accomplished. Even though Jesus hasn't even come yet. Even though the Son has not come. And in fact, in Zechariah's mind, before, before we even know who Jesus is, Zechariah is picturing a king. Zechariah is picturing someone who will come and take over the, the authority of Israel. And that's not what happens. But yet, Zechariah knows the promise is sure. I'm resting in the one who backed it. I have no doubts. I will not waver. Praise be to the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. This morning, we light a candle here. It's the candle of hope. It's part of the Advent wreath. It's the candle of expectation. We light it on the first Sunday of Advent every year. The hope candle. Knowing that God has redeemed His people through Christ. We're on the front side of the cross now. We know the answer to the prayers that Zechariah was praying. We know the answer to the song that he sang that day. God has come and redeemed his people. We know it through Christ. And yet we light this candle this morning. Knowing that we have hope. I don't know how you come this morning, where you are in understanding and trusting the promises of God. Maybe you waver. Maybe you're not sure how they all come together. Maybe you have some questions. Maybe you have some doubts. But this morning, this candle for us represents hope. That the one who made the promise backs the promise. We can hope in God. We can hope in Jesus, who we know, who we know came as our redemption. We can rest there. I don't know how you come this morning as you think through the promises of Scripture and the promises that God has put in your life. But I know this, we have this morning hope. We have this morning hope. Matthew's going to lead us. We're going to sing this morning of that hope. I pray you'll stand with me as we sing. Let us join with the angel voices. Let us join the happy song. All of heaven and earth rejoices. For the Lamb of God has come. He has come to rescue sinners. Come to meet our desperate need. He was born to bring forgiveness. Born for Calvary. Hallelujah. Hope has come. Hallelujah, Christ has come. We once were slaves in misery, 
in the hope that comes from Christ. We celebrate in that this morning. God, we can rest in that because we know you. Because these promises will be true in your name. That's where we rest, God. Let us not rest anywhere else. Let us not rest in the gifts that you give us, God. Let us not rest in the desires and longings of our hearts, God. Let us not rest in our own emotions. God, let us rest in you, the hope that you have provided for us in Christ. God, let us not doubt the promises. Let us not waver on those. But God, let us celebrate because we know the one who backs the promise. It's your name on the line, God. And we rest in that this morning. Help us, God, to see our hope there. We pray these things this morning in your name. Amen.